Each episode, we bring you B2B leaders to learn about their successes, fouls, and what's working for them in the market. If you enjoy the show, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify and share this podcast with a friend. That's enough from me. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with X-Growth, and today I'm talking to Marcella Larson, Senior Director, Retail Advisor at Salesforce, about what are some of the recent developments in the retail sector and what should you know if you are selling into this space? On that note, let's dive in. Marcella, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. Excited to be here today, Shaheen. Yeah, super, super excited, Marcella. I mean, you know, retail is one of the big sectors, especially down here in Australia. It's it's right up there with uh, with with some of the other industries and verticals that are a regular focus and target for for a lot of businesses, and it's a big sector here in Australia. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Obviously, retail has gone through massive changes. Starting from the, the toilet paper crisis all the way to today where, where there are a lot of changes that are happening there. But can you give, give me a quick overview of, from your perspective, what did retail go through in the past two years? Well, the past two years, and you've probably heard this term, no doubt, retail went through a true acceleration. So some of the more forward-thinking retailers were able to accelerate and double down on their investments to be resilient and deal with a black swan event. Uh, others had to think very differently, had to form partnerships and push themselves further. And, and that pace is just going to continue. So I think we saw an acceleration to deal with the challenges and to better understand where the customer was going next and deal with the adversity we we're all facing. So that's sort of set a new bar for all of us and all of our expectations and how we shop and our behaviors have changed and retail has had to adapt. So, so tell me about that, right? Let's, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper in there. What, what has been the, some of the major challenges that the retail industry has had to face during this process? I think one of the big ones is inventory management and dealing with supply chain issues and unprecedented and unforecastable demand. So we've seen a level of maturity in doing things differently, in particularly with data over the past two years. In the beginning days of the pandemic, we even saw things like some of our larger supermarkets, they had to shut off online and just prioritize getting that inventory into the stores just to deal with the demand and, and serve what they could. And then a building of the muscle to better understand and take more micro slices of data to do that demand forecasting. And then we saw a lot of, of the shoppers, the consumers, even switching brands because it wasn't in the store. It wasn't available. So they tried something new and they may have liked that brand and that stuck with them. Um, so we've seen this evolution from the beginning days, a bit of bubble gum and sticky tape to figure it out, even picking up the phone for the retailers to call their suppliers, distributors, or consumer goods companies. In some cases, they couldn't rely on the um, black box forecasts. So they had to take manual to where we are today with retailers getting better on it. I think one of the things we saw in Australia, because they could see from the rest of the world some of the supply chain challenges, is some of the more advanced retailers who are willing to take on risk ordered more inventory. 
Um, so they've been able to get through the Christmas season in, into now um, with that excess inventory. And it's worked out pretty good for them. They haven't had to do much discounting. So those who are able to take on a high level of risk and calculate well have done well. Um, we haven't been affected as severely as the rest of the world in the supply chain challenges. Got it. Got it. You know, the other thing that I want to explore is what are some of the opportunities that have come out of this and, and some of the some of the areas that that retailers are currently explore, exploring. So usually when this something like this happens in the early days, everyone's pulling their hair out and, and running around trying to figure out what they're going to do. But then there are certain things, certain positive outcomes that come 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 out of it. What have you seen? some of these changes in the retail sector? Well, very interesting changes for me are being more vocal around their values alignment because striking a chord and resonating with your customers and keeping that loyalty, so much more is involved than just the product itself, just the shopping experience, but being transparent about your values and appealing to the emerging um, generation of Gen Z and millennial in particular. That's a big one. Also, thinking through very deeply your employees, keeping them safe. How do you skill them up? How do I retain staff? How do I acquire staff? That, that was a big focus over the past couple of years. And um, for us with that technology lens, um, we've been working with customers because sometimes attracting great talent can also be uh, def- defined by the skills they're providing people. Um, and giving them u- unique opportunities to advance their career, and in some cases, taking away some of the more mundane, mundane um, tasks so that they can do the really cool stuff in retail, being creative, connecting with customers. So that employee piece has been a big one. And then third, I would say this idea of technology enabling more of the strategy. So it became apparent that technology helped address more of the challenges. It offered new unlock for the future and seeing where the customer was going to go next. Um, So not necessarily leading with technology as a strategy, but having technology enable and light up more of that strategy became increasingly important over the last two years. Okay, let's let's dig a little bit deeper in all three of those, okay, Mm -hmm. because I think there are some interesting stuff. Let's talk about values first. What what has happened there? I mean, you know, a lot of people, a lot of companies talk about value, right? And you look at it, you're like, what do you, you know, everybody else talks about that. What have you seen done differently in retail? What have you seen that, you know, it it it's come out of some of the retailers in Australia that you're like, okay, that is really pushing that that value uh, component forward and in, in, in front of mind. Well, we know the importance of uh, climate and sustainability, as I said, particularly with Gen Z and millennials. So we've seen uh, retailers like The Iconic have that lens with sustainability. So when you shop, it's very apparent around sustainability driving your purchase, understanding more about the carbon footprint where these things are even sourced from and ethical sourcing. So you've got the iconic kind of leading the way and looking at sustainability lens across all of their business. And we know that that is extreme in the value of um, the younger generations and, and really came out throughout the pandemic. You've got 
other retailers offering value-driven choices. So Mecca is another great example where when you're shopping for your makeup, you can actually look at um, animal um, testing free. So that certainly aligns with a certain cohort that has that value. So we're seeing that delivered more in the customer experience to differentiate that brand and communicate their values to their shoppers and loyal customers. Just a few things, but we're seeing we're seeing a lot more in terms of recycling and other offerings as part of that brand experience, even for the customer to be able to participate in, because the customer can also co-create in some of those values as well. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot more in that space. Do you think the focus on values was because what you said that these businesses and retailers saw that some of their customers, because of the changes in COVID, they would switch brand and it's really hard to kind of retain them? Is it, is it more of a, like a retention play? Or uh, why, why do you think there there is all, all of a sudden this, this focus on values? Well, ideally, it's part of the founding principles and the culture of the company, for one. Of course, of course. <laughs> I, I, but, but for some reason, it's become more important after COVID, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's also the acknowledgement and the recognition that to retain customers that they need to share in those values, that when there is values alignment, there's elimination, you know, you've got less discounting, for example, you, as a consumer, I'd rather pay knowing treater workers are being treated ethically, they're not using materials that are harmful for the environment, they understand the carbon footprint of the supply chain, that they're sharing um, their sustainability values, those are important to me more so than um, a discount. That being said, <laughs> you know, depending on surveys, I think many people will respond. They're willing to pay more, but I think we need to look at actual consumer behavior in some sense, because values driven can also in certain households mean that they're always going to take that discount. And I think we saw some of those discussions play out with the job seeker, job keeper, and when that was being taken away and um, some of the people, once they lost those benefits, were going to become more price sensitive. So I think that's still an area to watch, but we do know there's a larger cohort willing to pay premium to have that values alignment. Got it. Let's let's jump into the second one. What, what are you seeing retailers doing differently when it comes to kind of talent acquisition and, you know, or, or basically the employee experience? Well, one that I love that we're starting to see emerge is taking some of the retail employees that are actually starting on the shop floor, where a lot of retail traditionally comes through, but they may not be in a university degree program um, at the time and giving them an opportunity for more of a, a traineeship to acquire skills, to potentially move into a digital team and have a different career, giving them more training to move up within the company and maybe even offering them some skilling to then go back to university. Or if you're in university and, and then when you graduate, have that opportunity on the digital team and making those investments in that space. So I think that's a big one. A driver behind that is the fact that in terms of like digital or IT skills here in Australia, we currently have about 650,000 people employed in that industry. 
It's actually more software engineers now than hairdressers, believe that one or not. But by 2030, we're going to need something in the likes of over 2 million, so massive increase. And traditional university programs and skilled migration, they aren't going to fill that gap. So the employers are now realizing we need to supplement, we need to get very creative in how we're going to embed these digital skills in our staff. And how are we going to differentiate ourselves when we are competing against Facebook, against Salesforce, against Microsoft to hire some of these people? What are we going to do differently? Very interesting. Very interesting. So, I mean, it, it, it's playing from multiple different angles, staff, uh, uh, skill shortage, but also kind of retention of employees and, and keeping them with the organization. That's a very fascinating, fascinating move. Let's talk about the last one, which is tech, en- tech enablement, right? And this is something that people have been talking about for years. And I don't think it's it's something special to COVID to kind of ha- talking about tech enablement. But what I'm really interested to know is what's different about tech enablement today than it was maybe three years ago? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think prior to the pandemic, we would see a focus on innovation we would see occasionally this thought around test and learning. You'd see these projects that might be an experiment in the corner of the store, maybe an endless aisle, but it didn't get scaled out to a thousand stores. I think tech enablement today is truly addressing a challenge. It needs to be scalable. It needs to have a life for test and learn to gain that scale and that there is an appetite with the leading retailers to make those investments, to learn from what works and doesn't work, and then communicate that throughout um, their organization as well. And always thinking about this scale. Is this going to improve the customer experience? Is this going to set us up for a platform for success? And less kind of around technology looking for a use case. Mm, Got it. Got it. That's a great segue to my next question where, all right, so these are the areas that, that I mean, tech is, is an area that now retailers are investing in to solve challenges versus being innovative and kind of, you know, have a side project going on. What are, what are some of the new areas of growth, some of the new areas that retailers are putting a lot of focus on and, and putting a lot of investment in that you're seeing uh, in, in today's market? Well, number one, I think personalization is just table stakes. So acknowledging the fact that it costs a lot more to acquire a customer than retain and keep one, and that we all have expectations of that brand is going to know me, it's going to make suggestions, it's going to remove friction for me, it's going to deliver things in the way that I want to receive them, it's going to allow me to order in the channel I want and be educated around. So I think everyone's scrambling to kind of keep up on that personalization curve, number one. I think we're also seeing a lot more focus on co-creating with the customer, understanding how they can provide opportunities to learn from the customer and allow the customer to create something unique. That's part of the newer generation and where they want to go and how technology um, can be used to do that. Uh, and of course, taking costs out of the business. I mean, that's that's almost table stake as well. You know, we're talking about all of these big ideas, but 
when we needed to change to have things like click and collect in the stores, we had to think deeply around, well, potentially that's an additional cost. Well, okay, let's look at ways where technology can help bring down those costs. Can we start sourcing from the stores as opposed to a centralized distribution? Do we need to have a blended model to be able to source from a central distribution and stores and bring it? And technology and data plays a very important role there. So I think looking for those opportunities, not only to provide new experiences, but keep them cost effective as well has been very important, um, especially since we know these things are going to stay. So they're not going to be able to write them off in the past. They're going to have to find a way to keep them scaling and, and cost effective moving forward. Got it. Got it. So personalization, co-creating and, and kind of supply chain management. Can you tell me a little bit about the co-creating? I, I, I can't really picture what that, what that means. Can you, can, you, can you give me a little bit more detail on that? Yeah, so I think this is more a part of where things are going next and we're hearing a lot more about the metaverse and what does that really mean and we're seeing a lot of people scratch their heads. But in some ways that becomes a vehicle to learn more about the customer, giving them a platform where they can create things of unique value to themselves. So we've heard about this term with NFTs, but that's that ability to like buy something and create something that's unique to me. So some of the early use cases, we may be wondering, well, how does that apply in everyday life? I think the retailers are looking for those platforms where they can co-create and allow the Gen Z and the millennials to create a unique experience, a unique product, have something unique for them. Um, as that is a very important value and I guess effectively retail for the audience of one and where things are going next. Okay, that's that. We've got to talk more about that, right? <laughs> because I mean, all, all, this metaverse NFTs, right? And, and everything that is built on on, on blockchain is, is obviously a very hot topic, not as hot as it was maybe in January, but still a very hot topic. And I know that Salesforce has made some some major investments in building up. I think it's called, are you calling it an NFT platform? Is that, if, if I'm yeah, not mistaken? Yeah, we'll have a marketplace of more of the solutions that can align with the metaverse. So um, Got it. it's early days. And right now, I would say we're spending more time of kind of educating our customers. Well, what could this mean? Let's unpack what this is really about so we can consider the use cases moving forward. So are retailers seriously looking into metaverse and, and NFTs at the moment? I would say many of them are in the learning phases. We have a lot of advanced categories like fashion, for example, where something unique can be created and someone can own it that are bleeding edge. So Nike, um, Gucci, or those are where we're seeing more of the early adoption in more of that creative type of community. So I, mm. I think we're going to learn from there. I think of other categories that have been held back in a sense with shopping online or digitally you know think of food it's not very much of an immersive experience today it's very list driven so imagine if you could immerse yourself in a store and be inspired by what you're seeing around what you're going to cook that night or be able to visually look more at the aisles It'd be a completely different shopping experience than a list driven experience that you have today and we may see you know further adoption and willingness to embrace digital with that type of immersive experience in the so-called metaverse very interesting. Very interesting. 
what is what are some of the challenges that uh, retailers are having from the emergence of some of the players like um, that that are going direct to consumer? So, I mean, Shopify is a, a a bit of a concern in that space. What are you seeing from that perspective, where some a platform like Shopify is really enabling providers? To go directly to to the market and have their own online store and st- sell directly versus having their product in a big retailer. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and I would say yes and no. That is somewhat of a threat. One of the things happening today is it's become very expensive in the digital space. So if you're an emerging brand and you're looking to go direct to consumer. It can be challenging because the cost of digital is very expensive. So what we tend to see and is more likely are a direct-to-consumer strategy well thought out that's not degrading your current retail channels. So we see this with some of the larger players like Mars, for example. So they might bring out like a, a specialized product. Maybe you personalize your your lollies of some sort, and you can do that online, or they have a flagship store and they're going direct to consumer. But in some sense, they're learning more too uh, about the change consumer behavior. They're having more of a direct connection so that they can help their retail partners out. So that's more symbiotic, but certainly those lines are blurry between what is a retailer, what is a consumer goods company. But the consumer goods companies are wanting to understand more about the consumer, and they're still doing a lot of that marketing. So I think they're looking for activations when they can go more direct. We're even seeing some of these consumer goods companies, especially who play more in that hospitality space. So if you think of pubs and clubs and suppliers of the alcohol in there, and they may have fridges in there, wanting to provide more of a platform. So potentially maybe even that refrigerator in the pub could be an advertising screen. They could look at what is being housed in there. They could provide more e-commerce capabilities for a small pub that can't set up their own, maybe click and collect as a service. So we're seeing some interesting things in that space as well. And what they're really aiming to do, again, get more data about that consumer behavior, not only for that model and that shared platform they may be building out, but also to better help their retail partners as well. So ideally, it's not so much competing, but becomes more symbiotic. I think it is becoming more difficult for kind of those startup direct-to-consumers to get started on their own that we were seeing, let's say, three or four years ago in the U.S. We were seeing a lot of that, and then that space became crowded. So we are seeing the rise of more marketplaces, even with physical store activations and pop-ups, that can aggregate these new direct-to-consumer brands and they can acquire customers and do a bit more test and learn and then decide if they want to pursue more of a partnership with retailers or they can go at, at it on their own. And with cookies being deprecated in the future, it's going to become even more difficult to acquire those customers and more expensive. So it's it's an interesting time right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, last question that I want to ask is, you know, some of the, some of the listeners that are, that are uh, listening to our podcast are would be targeting the retail se- sector, would want to work with retail sector, right? Or they want to sell something to the retail sector. What is your advice to to companies out there who are looking at working with the retail se- sector specifically? 
And that could be across a broad spectrum of services and offerings. Shaheen. I know, I, I know, it's a it's a broad a broad vertical, and, uh, and and it might be a bit hard to generalize. But you know, is there something that you can think of that you know, if I'm a company that that I'm trying to target the retail sector, or is there any advice that you have for uh, for a company that that is targeting the sector? Sure, I would, I would think about where some of their pain points are today. We've talked in this interview quite a bit about the challenge with skills and access to talent. So can you help supplement? Can you help bring some of those skills in through what you're bringing um, to their business? Um, because they may not be able to hire that in-house. Maybe they can um, work with some of the service providers that might be listening here to help augment and even supplement or fill a gap for skills they're having a hard time getting within the organization. Particularly, we know with e-commerce and digital, that's a challenging space to hire in talent. So that would be one area. Anyone who's kind of launching and bringing a new product to market, thinking about if that's going to be expensive, the retailers are always looking for fresh products. We're seeing a lot of retailers move into marketplaces, so they don't have to hold the inventory and they may be more willing to trial a new product, bring something fresh because they're well aware of this brand switching that's gone on and they're looking for fresher offerings, particularly that align with their values. So if your product has a great sustainability tag or represent some of the new, um, let's say, health and wellness habits that are emerging, you know, that, that, that could be, a, a, this could be great timing for you. So those, those will be some of the areas I would look at. And then expertise to help them grow into um, new white space. So that could be new business models. Maybe they want to add services into the product range, or maybe they want to look at new markets outside of Australia for some reason lately, I'm hearing a lot more about entry into the U.S. market, which is kind of interesting. I mean, you've got a big supply chain to tackle there. Certainly China is always a big one. And I'm seeing some interesting things with growth outside of Australia and Europe. But looking at markets like Ireland or smaller countries, too, to start as a bit of a test and learn before you go all in in the EU or all you in the U.K. So can you provide some unique uh, viewpoints or partnerships in terms of their growth strategy. Got it. Got it. Those are those are awesome, awesome points. Marcel, before we wrap up, I have a couple of rapid fire questions I want to ask you, right? But before we get to that, is there anything that we should touch on that maybe I didn't ask or you think it's important to talk talk about when it comes to retail, their challenges, the opportunities, the the new areas of growth and so on and so forth that that maybe I haven't touched on? Well, Sheen, I'd actually be interested to know in how much time do you think that the retailers have to take a look at what's happening outside of their own environment and if that's changing now and what you're hearing? Because I feel like we've had a breather. We've gotten through uh, some very challenging times and acceleration. Maybe there is a, a breathing point and a curiosity to understand what's happening outside of Australia, what's happening in the rest of the world. And maybe more time to bring in ideas and less of this constant pace of delivering new projects, getting the inventory in the store. That's what I'm seeing a bit. I'm seeing a lot of interest in going to events and, and meeting other retailers. I'm curious if you're seeing the same right now. 
I definitely, most definitely, uh, I I see that quite a lot as well. Where I feel like retailers are a little bit worried about what is happening in some of the other countries, specifically if if there are entries or organizations that are coming into Australia of uh, what that could potentially look like. What is that? What are they doing in their in their own turf? So if it's, you know, I I think the the, the easiest example of this would be Amazon. If like Amazon is coming over here, what is Amazon like in in the U.S. and and what is that uh, what is that that the the kingdom look like, which is kind of like that, right? I I see quite a lot of that, quite a lot of curiosity, and and sometimes a lot of amazement after you know the eyes are opened and and people realize how how broad certain things are or how specific certain things are and how different it is in, in some of the other geographies. Is that is that something you're seeing as well or, or is it an isolated observation from my end? Yeah, I, I think because we've all been grounded here <laughs> for two years, now there's this curiosity to go and see what innovation might be coming um, from another country that's had to address challenges, maybe they have a different approach. What can we bring back um, and share with our terms teams here? Sorry. The other thing is inflation. It's not anything we've had to deal with our lifetime. And we're seeing some levels in the U.S. of the 1970s. I think early on, generally in January, February, when we started to see that in Australia, a little bit of inflation was good because Retailers haven't been able to increase prices for quite some time, but I do sense a bit of uncertainty of what does this mean? This is getting very real right now. And uh, do we pass on these costs to our consumers? What's going to be their appetite and willingness to pay these costs? I think, you know, I think that's a that's a massive component. And and I think that goes on a more broader scale of things and, and gets a bit geopolitical and economical talking about the inflation but you know i would imagine retail would be the number one at least one of the one of the main areas that is going to be looking at this very closely of what what inflation is going to mean for them i mean i I definitely don't want to pretend like i have the answer for it but uh but I, i know there's a lot of conversations around that and a lot of concerns for uh for for what this means for for a lot of us yeah you're right numbers of and and I think the other question is, is Australia going to follow some of the numbers that are that are coming out of the U.S.? Uh, you know, because eight point something percent in the U.S. is uh, those are crazy numbers. And, and there, there are debates that obviously there is there might be some misalignment in terms of how that's calculated. So that just opens up a door for for uh, for a completely different podcast and and, and definitely another episode. Of, of growth colony. But Marcella, before we wrap up, I want to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, and, uh, and we'll, we'll smash through them really quick and, uh, and, and, and we'll go from there. How does that sound? That sounds great. Okay. Marcella, give me one resource. This could be a book, a blog, a podcast, whatever it is, a talk that has fundamentally changed the way you you work or you live or you, you your outlook to, uh, to, to, to the world? Well, I think a big one for me, and I had the opportunity to meet him in person, is Scott Galloway. And I love the Pivot podcast. Uh, of course, I look at things from technology and I like to understand more of where's the disruption happening and have some good controversial discussions, also political in a way, I guess. 
Um, so I think um, Scott does a good job of pushing the envelope, provocative views, thinking across industry. But most of the themes he does talk about truly apply to retail. And even managing your career and, and thinking about what you want to be keeping on top of, of what's coming next. So um, he's a big one for me and uh, one I, I, I highly recommend to follow in terms of thought leaders. Um, he would be a big one. He is. Yeah, he is. And definitely with his new uh, CNN Plus gig, he's going to, a lot, lot more people are going to hear about him than uh, than previously. But uh, he is definitely a uh, quite a character and uh, and definitely very interesting to listen to. Question number two, if you were going to give anyone in the retail sector, right, and they're thinking about what direction they should go or what they should do, what what would be one advice that you would give to uh, to, to people in the retail sector? Well, even, even practical advice, I'll go back to a book I just recently read, which I thought was a great one, um, The Innovation Stack, The Founder's Stripe, which I think is now evolved into Block. I love the point of this book because you can't just move into a market and think about one innovation. It's everything behind it and the hundred other things that are going to change as a result of this one change. So I was truly inspired by that. And just the authentic nature with founding Stripe of what the founder, what he really wanted to achieve and and helping small business that basically couldn't afford to have credit card capabilities because they were so small. So it's that genuine passion, but that innovation stack concept, I love because so often we see retailers also stating we're technology companies, we want to learn about innovation. I think that really gets into the heart of thinking across, it's not just one thing, it's the stack behind it, it's the culture, it's a mindset. So great read for everyone. Got it, got it, okay. Question number three, and you've kind of answered this. I'm just going to ask mm-hmm. if there, if there, if there's anything else. Who are some of the influencers that you follow? Scott Galloway, we said. Yes, we talked about. Scott. Is there anybody else? I try to follow Doug Stevens now and then. He's he's kind of this um, retail prophet and and thought leader. I always try to read, um, you know, the Amazon letter for shareholders. Look out what's going on there. Andy Jassy just published his first one. Um, so that's a great one to follow. You mentioned them too, kind of understand where things are going next by reading what Amazon's saying or what they're not saying. Look at what patents they're putting into market. For me, I, I like to look at CB Insights too, because I like to look at what's happening in the startup world in um, the industry I focus on, retail, but but also other industries, because there could be innovative ideas, let's say, happening in banking that we might think about in retail. So CB Insights does a good job of kind of giving the latest download on that. Fast Company, another great one. And just to even look at what's happening in Australia, um, you know, inside retail and AFR are great. Um, but I do like to mix it up with what's happening internationally. And I'm a big follower of CoreSight Research. Deborah Winswig, founder, she's a friend of mine. So I love to see what's happening in China and, and who's adopting these trends in the rest of the world. So CoreSight does a great job at that as well. I love it. I love it. That's uh, that's a pretty comprehensive list. And there are definitely some publications in there that I love. Love CB Insight. I mean, they they do an amazing job. Thank you so much for, uh, for, for that list. Last question that I have. 
is what's something that excites you about retail today? I love retail because it's always changing and it's a great industry if you are curious and you want to think ahead of where the customer is going. We can rest assured that it's never going to remain stagnant and it touches our lives every day. So I'm sure those of us in the industry know that everyone's got an opinion because we're all shoppers and we're all consumers. So I think it's one of the most exciting ones out there and that we can rest assured that change is going to be a constant theme um, for us. I love it. Marcella, this has been an awesome conversation. I really appreciate your time. And thank you so much for all these insights that you shared with, uh, with, with me and, and the audience. Well, thank you. And uh, I'll be looking forward to maybe coming back and sharing some of how Australia is leading the way. I do think we have some incredible innovation that's happened in our nation, especially since, again, we haven't been able to leave in two and a half years. In the meanwhile, I, I, I think there's been some exciting things that have happened here that I'm personally sharing with the rest of the world, particularly in how we work with our suppliers as retailers and how we've had to rise to the occasion given the lack of our government's willingness to kind of put mandates in place around sustainability. So. I think our retailers have done a great job in serving shareholders and, and shoppers on that front in particular. Yeah. Uh, well, absolutely looking forward to it. That's going to be another hot topic to uh, to discuss. If, but again, thank you so much for today and, uh, and looking forward to the next one. Thank you. This episode of Gross Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing and music arrangement also by Alexander Hipwell. Special thanks to Tina Wabe and Rod Hoda. We couldn't make this show without you. The show is hosted by Shaheen Hoda. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And maybe even share the pod with a friend if you loved it that much. Thanks again for all the support and looking forward to seeing you again in the next one.